to Mastering Retention, presented by UserWise. Hi, everyone. Uh, welcome to today's episode of the Mastering Retention Podcast. I'm Tom Hammond, co-founder of UserWise and your host for today. Uh, today, we are delighted to have Priyanka Badkul with us. Um, Newly at Triple Dot, right? Um, and then yes, before uh, that, you were kind of heading up uh, the Coffee Break games at Huge. But uh, yeah, be- before we dive into everything, like, I always like to ask, you know, what's your story? Like, how did you get into <laughs> games? <laughs> uh, my story is 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 a little weird. I would say I got into games when I was literally in my college days, figuring out what to do, like any other college goers. <laughs> Unlike the recent generation college years, like they are super clear what they want to do. I don't think I was very super clear in the beginning what I wanted to do, but I was very clear about one thing that uh, I did not want to do the conventional stuff like engineering or, or the accountancy or the doctor. And I was very clear. I don't want to do this. <laughs> If I had listened to my parents, I was supposed to be an accountant. Uh, I was halfway through there uh, with a a bunch of friends of mine. But uh, in in between this, I decided to drop down from that that thing and pursue something else. Mm. And in that something else, uh, I had few options and gaming was one of the lucrative ones because I was playing games, but uh, out of curiosity, just got into understanding like how these games work, how to make games. Uh, I'm talking about year 2003-2004, where gaming wasn't a big thing in India. Uh, we didn't yeah. have many phones. Uh, for, we didn't have the luxury of basically having fantastic computers or consoles to <laughs> play the games on that. Uh, I belong to, yeah, basically fairly a very middle-class uh, work group. Yep. So that was a curiosity, how these things work. I uh, didn't have many opportunities to learn. Uh, coincidentally, I just got to know that, you know, there is a graphics part which makes things work, which is visually like you see that. So I got into first as a graphics designer. So I learned mm-hmm. uh, as a as a game, game art design, how things work. And from there, things started. Uh, my first job was in a, as, an, as a game artist uh, for console and PC games. Uh, wow. I happened to work on some of the very beginning Battlefield 2, those kind of <laughs> games where like some of the graphics is actually done by me because I was part of the outsourcing company that time. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah. Uh, so, so the journey started from there. For the first couple of years, I was working in the art department from art product, doing my art myself to producing mm-hmm. art. But uh, in 2010, I would say uh, I made a change from being an art person to moved into the production side of it. Mm. And uh, my first game, mobile game that I produced was, I think that was one of the most difficult product that I'd done in my life is official Formula One game (laughs) on mobile. (laughs) (laughs) So... (laughs) Yeah, so back then when mobile used to be not so smart and not so hardware heavy, uh, running a racing game on mobile, that to Formula One was wow. <laughs> Yeah, especially directly working with the FIA uh, and they were very particular about their brands, their, their identities, their uh, IP basically to, to maintain the quality, to maintain the brand awareness so that we don't even move one pixel from here and there on the branding side. That was a deal. So that's how I started production from there. Uh, in 2000, basically, I think 11 or 12, I moved to the social gaming platforms, uh, Facebook mm-hmm. gaming. 
And that's where I started uh, with back then a startup. It used to be called Bash Gaming slash Bitrimes. And with that small team, we produced the most successful bingo game. Even now, it's the second most successful bingo game. It's called Bingo Bash. Yeah. And from there, production to product to now, it's been last few years, I've been building new teams, uh, building new products. So that has been the journey. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, um, so I, I know one of the things that we wanted to talk about today, which... I, I think you'll actually be the first person that's on here. So expect some basic questions because I don't know too much about it. And, and that's really the concept of, you know, real money gaming, um, you know, in, in some sense, kind of like your skills or your MPL, uh, you right. know, whatever you call it. Um, so, you know, before we dive into this subject, do you want to maybe just like define what it is and then maybe sure. what it isn't for our audience, just so that we have cool. like a, a clear picture? Yeah. So real money gaming, uh, specifically skill-based real money gaming, uh, has been there from, from quite some time in the industry. Uh, this is my latest product, the latest project that I'm doing, working with Triple Dot Studios. There are like different kinds of real money gaming around the world. There's gambling, there's batting, betting, there is, there is skill-based. So this one that we're talking about is very specific to skill-based mm-hmm real money gaming uh, where two player get on a competition which is a skill based competition doesn't matter what mechanic it is right and we put a bet on on our game and the winner of the game basically wins the prize money and how the company earns the money basically is is a commission is the is the rake money so there's a component of rake money which is defined which is upfront told to the players uh, that, that what are they going to get and what will be the rate money. And that's the business model around it. Uh, this model, this business model is very, uh, is legally accepted in many parts of the world, including United States and many countries, but mm-hmm. it has to work within the boundaries of the legally defined criteria of skill money, uh, sorry, skill-based mechanics. And we just have to play around it. Uh, as long as we are in those boundaries, Mechanic doesn't basically, mechanic specific has no role to play. There's the enormous opportunity to play any mechanic literally into that. There has been a few successful companies already, like Skills has been the longest running platform. They are super successful lately. There are different uh, upcoming companies in the global chart, specifically US and UK in, in those markets like uh, Papaya Gaming, Avia Games, and many mm-hmm. more. India has been one of the leaders into the segment with uh, many, many uh, skill base, basically those rummy games uh, and poker games. And MPL is the recent example that you mentioned, uh, which is already multi-billion dollar, uh, basically company in, in a very short period of time. Yeah. So yeah, uh, in the nutshell, there is, there is an audience, there is a user group, there is a demography who is willing to play uh, real money games. And they're very engaged into that. So that's, this is a massive opportunity that we are also seeing. Yeah. And I know, you know, thinking about maybe what it's not or, or some other shades of it and stuff, like I know um, RMG or, or Real Money Gaming is pretty popular in the UK and also in India in certain parts. But, um, you know, how would you differentiate, let's say, like a skill-based game? Like if, if I'm competing and we're both playing Flappy Bird um, and we get the exact same screens and it's just yes. a matter of, yes. you know, how do I get through? 
contrast that with maybe like if we were playing poker together, because there's more elements of like luck and interpretation and stuff that goes along with that, I feel. Yeah, so that's true. Uh, Skill is very uh, box bounded, basically, in terms of that if there is any luck, let's let's take it this way. Uh, Any game mechanic, which is less than 50% of chance based, more than 50% of, of skill based, in many territories, this is considered as skill gaming. Uh, for example, I'll give you an example. If you play a game of solitaire, right? Uh, the solitaire deck that you are playing and I am playing should be identical. Mm-hmm. The, the sequence should be identical. The timer should be identical. So the game setting should be identical in that case. The other example is bingo. Bingo is also considered basically, not considered, but customized by the many companies to, to make it skill-based. In general, bingo is a chance-based game. It's a luck-based game. But how it is customized, that the card, the bingo card that you will have, that I will have, will be identical. The number mm-hmm. calling will be identical. So the competition is literally based on the uh, your and mine cross-motor skills, basically. Hand-eye coordination, cross-motor skills. How fast you can dub a number, how fast you can dub a bingo, and how much of our listening skills uh, basically are there so that we don't miss a number. And the competition is based on uh, ability to fast job and score higher based on your fast actions. It's, it's nothing to be based on luck. That's that's the bounding box around. Does it make, I mean, yeah. is that clear enough? No, I think that makes sense. And then yeah. one, one final thing, because sure. I, when I think of real money gaming, and this whole blockchain stuff has been going on. Right. Um, what's your take on how play to earn or blockchain games kind of correlate to real money gaming? Or is that kind of a completely separate beast? Or are some of those elements going to get blurred? Uh, so basically, we are also exploring soon something, something on that front. But as far as I see at the moment, the possibilities, I don't see. See, the game mechanics that I'm talking about are very simple mechanics because we are also trying to, not just I uh, or we, uh, all these companies are, are trying to go to the tap into the casual audience, like casual game playing audience, which is, which is wider, right? Uh, I am not seeing a great opportunity of merging the crypto and NFTs with these things uh, unless the the demography is going down to the younger age group who is more willing to take the experiments, who is more willing to take the risks of of this thing, who understands basically this thing. So unless and until I start a competition in our games, which is is based on PUBG or or, uh, Fortnite, where character building is a thing, where special characters is a thing, I don't think there is a blend in. Uh, When it comes to... So, but there is still, I see some opportunities. Like I see some of the gaming companies are already doing that. There are different competitions running where instead of rewarding uh, in a tournament through real money, uh, they are rewarding into, into cryptocurrencies. Mm. Uh, but I see that as more of taking the, the marketability advantage, just, just to sell it better. Uh, other than <laughs> that, uh, I will basically still be exploring this opportunity uh, in the coming days and months and see how we can blend in the crypto world to the real money skill-based gaming world, which is meant for casual audience. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, if you if you run a PUBG competition for real money, of course, there is a way for, for NFTs as well as cryptos too. <laughs> yeah, no, that's great. Cool. Um, 
Okay. Well, now that we've kind of defined what we're we're talking about, so skill based real money gaming. Um, yeah, you know, tell me a little bit about what the current market kind of looks like. Like, what sort of audience is currently there? Um, so, uh, my basically answer on that would be uh, based on the market studies that I've done, because so far we haven't yet released our first game, so we don't have the first-hand experience. That. <laughs> I don't have the first-hand experience, rather. Yeah. Uh, but uh, the market looks like so. There is a there is a very uh, I would say niche audience available. I wouldn't say niche niche, but a wider niche available who have been playing in app-based games, who have been engaged into classic games, who have been engaged into even early ad-based games or in-app purchase-based games, right? Uh, when they see the opportunity, they anyways have been spending money on app purchase where they don't get anything in return. So I would say all the audience base who has been playing social casino games is, is kind of a tappable audience because they anyways have been spending money, but in return, they don't get back anything. Right. So this is an opportunity. They can play similar games uh, of similar interests. And that's why we are also looking for uh, initially the mechanics, which are evergreen mechanics, like, mm-hmm. like solitaire or, or blackjack or bingos and those kind of things, right? Which is which where people are anyway spending money, but they never had an option to take it out. So mm-hmm. we are getting with an option and some of us, these companies are getting with an option to in the same audience, similar audience, where they also have the option to take their money out. So that's a massive audience base available because social casino has been uh, a thing from for many many years. It's still growing. Yeah. So so that audience base is still growing. Plus, uh, since it is it is not restricted to casino only, we have the opportunity to literally play any mechanic, even if it's a match three or or a bubble shooter or or uh, even clash royale, right? Uh, we can very well bring those mechanics into this this framework. And uh, even that audience is reachable for us. So some part of that audience, if they are willing to basically put their real money in stake, it's an opportunity open for them that as well. Yeah. So, so in theory, you guys could take, let's say, I don't know exactly what your most popular game is, but let's say Wudoku um, is, is the most popular. So you could essentially take Wudoku and make like a, Wudoku challenge or or something like that. And then, and then it's like, okay, you both get the same board and your piece order is going to be exactly the same. And now it's a matter of who's going to score the most points. Right. You know, how, how do you know, like if the Wudoku audience or, you know, some other game would actually like respond well to this? Is it a matter of making the game? I think it's it's a matter it's a matter of testability. It's a matter of market yeah. test, right? Uh, so there are there are safer ways, uh, and I would say safer ways are like go with the most convention, conventional, follow the market basically. Uh, so there are competitors who have already got proven mechanics, like like solitaire and bingo, and those kind of proven mechanics, which is which is working for one company, two company, three companies. So this is, this is a no brainer. Yep. And then there are experimental content, like Fudoku is a great example. Uh, I think some point of time we would also like to test the absolute casual mechanic, which is which is massive user base already that that is with us, right? So test it and see how people of those games react to real money game. Ultimately, it's all about the conversion rates uh, because I'm sure when we when we try to uh, acquire user for for real money games, 
it is going to be a lot more expensive. Will we get the desired conversion rates? Do we, yep. do we find the LTV model of profitability in this uh, to, to make it happen? So there will be a lot of feasibility tests. There will be multiple mechanic tests. There will be multiple marketability tests. Uh, ultimately, we'll also have to find uh, what is our success mix. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Are there, you know, existing tools like I'm, you know, I'm thinking about like your app annies or your sensor towers or game refiner and stuff like is there a lot of market information and data around like the real money gaming, you know, audience and market similar to other, you know, new avenues or is it still kind of the wild wild west like new enough that it's it's hard to say? Actually, it's not. Uh, <laughs> and I'll tell you why it's not because uh, there's no First of all, skills, for example, is, is one of the leaders in the segment, right? Yep. They, they don't have any app, which is skills app. Uh, so there are different games uh, who are using their platform. And then there are different, basically, uh, uh, APKs, different games on the store, right? So it's, it's not that one particular app is giving you the complete data. And uh, if you go to those platforms, whether it's Epanius and Setrava, I don't think there's any way to differentiate uh, real money specific KPIs out of that. So from that perspective, I don't think we have a lot of market data available, which is ready-made for us to, to make decisions. Yep. Uh, we'll have to derive uh, a lot of things from the existing data sets and uh, make some uh, I would say some of them will be educated decisions. Some of them will be basically risk-taking decisions. And ultimately, we'll have to find our own way to, to understand this market. Yeah. I have so many questions, but I'm going to switch gears slightly. Um, yeah. So, you yeah. know, whenever I think about a new, um, you know, game or app or, or, or whatnot, you often hear people talk about the magical aha moment. So mm -hmm. uh, Twitter, I think they found that like, once you follow 10 people, you get this aha moment and Facebook a certain number of friends or something. And so they really orient their apps all around. How do I get new users to reach this aha moment as soon as possible? Because their retention and engagement and things just skyrockets after that. Um, exactly. I would assume that for a new user, in a, a real money gaming app, especially if they haven't done them before, that aha moment is the first time that you spend a dollar and you win, and now you have a dollar seventy or a dollar eighty-five or, or, or whatever it is. Um, you know, with that in mind, I think a little bit about like casinos and, and such. Right. And so, some things that they do to get you to Vegas, or at least they used to, I don't know if it's still a thing with COVID, but they used to subsidize the cost of flights to Vegas. So it was always really cheap to fly there. Likewise, right. you know, when you sign up for your hotel, you get in there, they'd often give you a few hundred dollars worth of like free credit to go down and, and use within the, the casino and the machines and such. Um, you know, do you think something like that makes sense within the realm of, you know, the real money skill-based gaming. Do you think it, it makes sense to augment that first-time user experience where like you're playing against a bot or someone that, you know, feels real, but is, you know, so, so it's almost designed so they can like win that initial, you know, coup back and they get that aha moment and they're much more likely to want to continue to seek that moment. Well, the logical answer is yes, we have to, and we should, but the, the complex answer is we don't know how far we can do that because when things come into real money purview, uh, there's a lot of legality involved into that. Mm -hmm. And uh, everything that we have to do uh, will have to be 
over sensitively taken care of because if anything in anywhere we flaunt the rules basically there is a risk right so uh i don't think we'll be able to do the aha moment playing around with the real money part of it or like letting the players like win in the beginning Uh, maybe or may not be i'm not sure yet Uh, we haven't basically reached to that space where we want to take the uh, the approvals on those sort of things but if that is not the possibility the alternatives that probably are available because the games also have uh, a virtual currency inflow outflow uh, which is which is not a purchasable inventory but which that still gives us a little bit of freedom to play around uh, in the beginning to create those aha moment like constant winning experience but specific to the virtual currency part uh, i don't think uh, there will be a way to do that with, with the real money part unless we decide to give players like you have a aha moment for 2 dollars from us which doesn't make sense <laughs> right <laughs> so uh, yeah. yeah there will be component of uh, uh, a virtual currency there will be a component of some bonus cash which is which is not redeemable which is not uh, encashable uh, there are some 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 opportunities there but with real money this this basically it also has to work with the legal framework yeah within the the skill based gaming type stuff are you allowed to let's say we make a a match 3 game that's yep. skill based and it's the same you know blocks and stuff am i allowed to have like paid boosters or like to give boosters to one or the opponents or, or things like that too or is that so answer is yes and no you're allowed to have boosters uh paid is is not because then 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 you and i can take different advantages based on my pay to, pay to win yeah right uh it's one of the action items in our list as well how do we uh, customize the the experience of using the boosters within the limits of the legally allowed real money game right uh otherwise there is a way to use boosters but then boosters will also have to be the same for you and same for me without having the purchasable option as a separate yeah but this is so uh see what i'm seeing is even the competitors like there are different competitors they are all playing around the very classic bounding box of the real money gaming framework uh, every new entrant even like us will have a lot of opportunities to find a way to to basically innovate in this segment uh, to find a way to innovate different mechanics different ways to play different business models without breaking the laws without breaking the the bounding boxes which is given by the the, the legal framework uh, and that's the job in front of us as a product designers and product managers to basically find out a way to to innovate in this segment yeah now that makes a lot of sense and there is there is plenty of opportunities available like apart from different mechanics uh, different ways to play real money games within the purview of skill uh, is is something something there for something is a challenge for the product designer here <laughs> i would say yeah. i love it okay. i'm more than happy to take that challenge and i'm working with my team to basically in the in the coming months to to break it through yeah i i think it's a super interesting yeah. challenge i'm i'm excited to yeah. to play some of your games when they come out um <laughs> i did want to switch gears a little bit for the last time that we have on here um and i wanted to talk about a i don't know an interesting challenge that i feel like pretty much every studio is facing uh large and small and, and that's really the idea of like 
how do you actually create new games and iterate and test on them to find something that is, you know, successful. And so I know this is something that you're doing now, and it's also something yeah. that you did when you were at uh, Huge Games. And I, I remember, you know, one of the things I was most intrigued about um, was I think you created what, like six MVPs in, in 12 months or something on three different business models to like rapidly yeah. iterate and ultimately find the, the dominoes party. Um, right. So I, I was just curious, like, what sort of process was that like, you know, for either new or existing studios that are trying to get into this, you know, create a new game that can be successful phase, like share some learnings, like what's, what's a good process or way to approach that? Uh, But but, but before I answer, I have a counter question on on that. Uh, Why, why do you think is uh, testing MVPs is a complex process? I don't think it's a complex process. I think studios make it complex. Yeah, I, I don't know that it's necessarily a complex process, but I think there's Definitely. always the uh, the nature of us to be perfectionistic or to have the idea of like, well, if something doesn't work or the metrics aren't where we want it to be, right? well, we instinctively go, well, of course it's not going to work because I haven't built this thing or I haven't built social features right. or, you know, of course the monetization doesn't work. I haven't built my battle pass. Now, so you know, uh, we, yeah, yeah, yeah. So here, 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 I would say my my approach, in fact, rather our approach has been a little different. And uh, I would say, so I've seen two kind of approaches here. One is a hyper casual approach where uh, an MVP slash uh, a minimum. I mean, even before pre MVP is made within a week and tested, and CPI is the only thing, right? Yep. To test. Uh, and then I've also seen that play, people have, and studios have developed a game over the period of like, even the MVP over the period of six months to 12 months, and then they released and they found like something is not right. Uh, in my case, uh, we adopted to a very uh, in-between approach. We neither wanted to be a, a one-week model MVP, but we, we were very clear what we wanted to do from the business side. For example, uh, we were clear uh, that even like not just huge, even before that, uh, and a couple of other things that it was very clear which market, which demography, uh, which kind of game genre I want to tap into. So with that clarity, things become automatically easy. For example, during the huge days, uh, the model was very clear that we want to get, get into the evergreen uh, space, evergreen mechanic space. And, and then every option is open there. What we wanted to test is which mechanic, only the mechanic, not the game, which mechanic that we can quickly go to the market and find out which mechanic is compulsive enough, which is finding wider audience, maybe chess, maybe dominoes or solitaire. And then we tested quick, quick models of first test mechanic, which mechanics are holding from two perspective, retention perspective from CPI, from marketability perspective, uh, which, which mechanics are getting, getting more basically uh, uh, CDRs, better CDRs in terms, of, uh, uh, in terms of marketability, right? So that is one problem that we identified. Okay, now there are a few products which are holding good on the ground. Now let's the test, let's divide the test into other way, which is, which is the monetization test. So there is, there is, uh, only ad-based monetization. There is hybrid monetization. Again, the next set of quick MVPs are on monetization. So in the nutshell, what I'm trying to say is uh, we went with a very focused approach on the market size, on the market segment, on the genre. So we know what we wanted to do versus experimenting with different markets, different genres, 
So that's where we save some a lot of effort. Uh, second thing is uh, we were kind of, uh, we broke down our problems into smaller pieces, right? Versus testing everything in one single piece, we broke it down into smaller pieces. Let's just test the mechanic. If the mechanic holds, then only test the, the monetization model uh, and, and then see what is the combination. So that's how we build uh, multiple MVPs in, in the six months uh, with pairing with multiple business models, uh, ads, hybrid, IAP, all three yeah. models. And out of these combinations, when we found that one particular product is holding well on, on, on the combination, Right. And then we decided to, okay, let's, let's build this product and, and take it forward. Let's grow this product. Uh, that's also my recommendation. If you break down your problems into smaller pieces, your MVP is much more simplified. Your KPIs that you want to measure are, are much more simplified. Uh, your options to go live early is, is, is much more feasible, basically. Do you recommend, yeah. yeah, do you recommend trying to analyze, okay, I have this new product idea that I want to do. Do mm -hmm. you recommend kind of breaking that up into little projects and then kind of orient them of like a risk profile? So maybe the first step would be, hey, if I have a $12 CPI for this, it's never going to work. And so you do like a market test without building anything first to make sure that it's a reasonable CPI. And then you say, okay, well, if I don't have fun gameplay mechanic that retains players, then it's never going to work. And then I make a basic MVP to just test that. And then I say, okay, well, if I can't get an LTV that is greater than the CPI, then it's never going to work. And so that would be like- uh, Absolutely. So uh, yeah. I, I wouldn't recommend to basically go with the LTV approach right from the beginning because LTV is is, is constantly growing. You build, yeah. you build it over the period of time, right? But I I definitely recommend to 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 run the CPI test as fast as possible because literally I've seen small, even the smallest and the most positive things surprising you and uh, uh, surprising to the level that somewhere where the all the market data suggests. Just give you an example. All the market data suggests that the CPI for this genre in this territory should be between thirty to fifty cents. When we started testing. Uh, after all the optimization, we never went, went down below $4. And that's a surprise, right? Uh, 40, 30 to 50 cents becoming 60, 70, 80 cents is, is understandable, is optimizable. When we start seeing things at $4, $5, that is not optimizable, right? Then immediately you have a reason to believe that what you were working for, you were working for with the expectation that if, if the range is between 30 cents to 50 cents, even if it, if, it, if it overshoots, let's talk about $1. If you work, optimize your product towards $1.5 CPI, uh, sorry, LTV, uh, you will make it. But for the plan of $1.5 LTV, uh, you cannot immediately switch gear and reach $4. Then you have to basically redesign your whole thought process. So my recommendation is go live. Uh, I mean, go and test the, the markets uh, as soon as possible test your hypothesis because six months back, whatever was happening is no more valid now. So that's a, that's the case. Uh, how has been your experience on that? Yeah, I, I think that's good. I think I encounter a lot of teams lately that um, I, I want to say they get into soft launch hell um, yeah. where they find that, you know, uh, let's take an RPG game that I, I know of that a, a buddy is struggling with. So it's hovering at about a $3 CPI, which isn't too bad from an RPG standpoint. 
Um, their soft launch LTV is, is about a dollar. Their um, day one to three, even upwards of, you know, day 30 is still in the five to 10% range. It's like still pretty good, you know, retention and stuff, but uh, you know, they're, they've been working on this project for a long time now <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and the metrics aren't really converging. And so, you know, at what point do we need to kill the project and move on because the things that we're doing aren't really moving the metrics in a way that we can actually scale this thing profitably and get to the full global launch. Um, yeah. And, you know, I see some projects with the, another company I was working with there. Um, their retention was in like the top, top of the, the arcade, uh, gameplay retention rate but they just were so far off and they had probably an, another 12 months of things that they were going to do but they'd spent six yeah. months doing things and none of those had like moved any of the metrics so you know yeah. do you kill this do you keep working on something else that might have a, a higher starting point of where you're going to get to so uh, i mean uh, the idea is not to basically ask the studios to, to to be discouraged when they see like alarming cpis or 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 something which is unexpected. The idea is to basically have an early knowledge about what you what you need to do to basically prepare for a for a release. And if you see some unexpected marketability issues, uh, then you know immediately that what kind of depth that you need to put in your game, in your design process, in your system process, in your business model to achieve to that level. Uh, and then it's a it's a more cautious decision. It's a more bold decision. It's a more educated decision that what you what you're looking for right so that's the idea uh, i don't think any game or any studio should be discouraged even if they look for like 10 dollar cpi if your game is is worthy of that you think that you'll be able to ask your players to deposit 10 dollars mm-hmm. why not <laughs> <laughs> why not <laughs> why not i mean i've seen that cases as well like, <laughs> I, w- I wouldn't say the name but i've seen that case as well where where the uh, game was fairly reasonable in terms of cpi Initial data wasn't very exciting in terms of retention, but uh, but the game just con- the, the team just continued to work on it to make it make it happen, and now that is one of the sick, one of the most successful games in the industry in in the genre. Uh, so you just That's need cool. to yeah, you just need to sharpen your skills. You need to put your focus on the right spots when you have some knowledge on that. <laughs> Do you have any thoughts on? Uh building for a particular audience or like using 12 traits or surveys or or something to identify, you know, Hey, this thing is underserved. Like I I think about, um, there's a book that I read by one of the the old Procter and Gamble CEOs and, and in there, they shared a story about, and I forget the name of the company, um, but they basically made golf clubs and they wanted to make a new golf club. And, and primarily the golf audience is like 25 to 55 males in the U S or whatnot. Um, and only like 10% of those men actually played golf. And so what they did is they said, well, rather than targeting those players, let's go talk to the 90% of these guys that aren't playing golf and understand why. Well, lo and behold, most of them didn't play golf because they didn't want to look like an idiot in front of their friends because they sucked at hitting the ball. Um, and so this company went back and they made this golf club called the big Bertha. And it's got this huge head on it that makes it actually much harder to hit the ball wrong. Um, and so they brought in a whole bunch of guys to golf and they brought a whole bunch of guys that already played golf that didn't really know that that was a problem that they had. They just thought that like they needed to get better at golf and like, it was their 
their problem. But now this big Bertha came in and solved it. A bunch of them kind of became customers too. Um, so, you know, I, I think about that from like, let's say I want to make a match three game. Okay. Right. Rather than trying to talk to candy crush players, I want to talk to women that by all accounts should have played candy crush or they quit playing candy crush. So, you know, yeah. why, you know, and, and maybe some of the answers would be like, well, I've got enough stress in my life. I don't want the constant plus <laughs> yeah, five yeah. moves. Like I just want to just like veg out and, and relax. Or, you know, yeah. maybe it's like, it's just endless levels. Like there's no point to it. Like give me some more meat. And, you know, yeah. that might've evolved into your homescapes, the getting rid of the stress of losing, maybe that evolved into like your, your merge mansion or whatnot, where there's really no lose condition kind of a thing. So um, within the gaming standpoint, like have you ever used an audience type targeting similar Actually, to that? No, I haven't used that. Uh, somehow never reached to that stage or basically, but yeah, it's a, it's a good idea. Although I don't know what are the means outside the game, like outside my particular game, uh, how should I reach to these audience and where do I find these audience who can basically, I know there are some companies do that, uh, but to be honest, no, I haven't used any of, of that so far yet in, in any of my products. Yeah, I've I've heard good but, things. But if you have about... some recommendations, uh, <laughs> we can connect offline and you can share some best, basically some some knowledge on that. And I'm going to use that because uh, looks like there is some potential to that. Yeah, yeah, no, totally. Well, cool. Um, so I know we're just about out of time here. Um, it's been super awesome, and I do have one last question for you because, of course, sure. we are on the Mastering Retention Podcast, um, <laughs> and and that is, you know. What's one tip or trick or, or lesson that you've learned over the years to increase player retention? Like how, how do you keep your players playing for longer? Uh, I don't know about how do I keep my players keep for longer? Like that's a subset of like many, many features and, and, uh, <laughs> uh, and the, basically the whole combination. But one thing I learned, if, if your core game, if your core mechanic is not compulsive enough, there's no feature that can save you. That's what my learning has been. So that has been uh, the thing that I, I, I focus on the core mechanic, uh, the core compulsive loop. If that is strong enough, then I have all the basically tools to make it better. But if that doesn't work, uh, there's no point pairing multiple features uh, because at a point you'll feed a roadblock. I love that. That actually reminds me. Um, one time I had the the CEO of Firespore Interactive and I think they were acquired yeah. and became uh, Crazy Labs India now, but um, they were talking about one of their first successful games, which was uh, one of those like feel good. You get to like slice through objects and stuff. Right, and, right. and they had amazing day one retention, right. but they increased it by something like three or 5% just by like making it even smoother to like do the cutting action or something like that. It's like that core mechanic. If you lock exactly. it in, you make it easier to do work a little bit better. It just, everything feels better. So I, I love that. That's a great one. Well, Priyank, uh, probably the simplest one, but uh, that's, the core. <laughs> that's, the, that's the core of it. <laughs> yeah. The simple ones are good. You always got to go back to your, your roots, get your foundation firm. Right. I, I love it. Um, if people do have any questions for you or follow-ups or things like that, is there a good way for them to get in contact with you? Of course, my, my LinkedIn page is pretty much open. So yeah, I think you are also connected on my LinkedIn page. Feel free to share it. Yeah. If anybody has any questions, not just questions, if, if anybody just want to have a brainstorming session on various aspects of product design, uh, problem solving on the products, uh, I'll be more than happy to jump into that discussion. Um, and there'll be a lot of learning for me as well from, from the people when they ask questions. 
Love it. Well, thank you so much, Priyank. You have a good rest of your day. Have a great day. Thank you. Bye-bye.